Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is our Recommend to Refute episode for this week. Uh, there's just two of us. Dixon's currently out of town. Um, he's on a special assignment in Scotland getting drunk. Um, it will, we'll talk with him when he gets back. I told him to pop over to Ireland and see if he could see what all those banshees or whatever were about. I don't know. Some kind of movie. <laughs> Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> it's, it's two of us. It's me, John Garcia, your host. And with me, the co-host as always is Ryan King. I, I worry where we're going to go. If it's just the two of us though, last time we got left alone, it got dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. We it's need fine. something to ground us <laughs> with the power of editing. I can make anything <laughs> go away. <laughs> <laughs> and we're the, not like, talking insert about in here, you, you just erase the next three hours we ramble on about something yeah exactly the moment <laughs> that you start to go down a ryan hole <laughs> we'll just course correct fast with a quick edit <laughs> yeah i am concerned i've had a lot of sudden snap realizations about shit i haven't watched in years so i don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> Um, yeah, very excited to get into this. I think that we're doing a rather unconventional recommender refute. We've never had two people do this before. I think we technically did it with antlers, but we're not talking about antlers and we're not doing that anymore. So I don't even remember what happened. (laughs) It's all antlers. We definitely, I'm sure we went off the rails. We were wind to gone, man. That's all I know. Movie Uh, broke me. But yeah, well, um, well uh, since antlers happened to me, <laughs> antlers happened to me. Yeah, do we want to talk about biodome? <laughs> yeah, we'll just talk about biodome instead. Um, well, uh, yeah, uh, since I'm hosting, I will kick things over to you first to talk about what you're bringing for recommender refute. What do you got for me, buddy? Yeah, uh, since Fast and Furious broke my mind, the only thing I can remember is the last movie I watched. Um, but my family and I watched the Guardians movies over the weekend, Guardians of the Galaxy. So I did go see Guardians 3 today, actually. I'm going to tell you something. I'm Star-Lord. I formed the Guardians. Met a girl, fell in love. And that girl died, but then she came back came back a total dick um but i i watched one and two yesterday re-watched one and two yesterday so they were fresh on my mind and the kids knew what the fuck was going on to some extent because we skipped everything like my daughter has no frame of reference to the marvel universe other than the spider-man movies now these and the eternals which is a questionable addition to her knowledge um and i i i enjoy like guns style like that, I was just, it's so funny. Like, I just enjoy the mix of it. I will say that I, I do think that what's interesting comparing to having watched some other, you know, the other high action movies or sometimes some of the other Marvel movies is how well the time is used between fight scene to fight scene or even within fight scenes that I never really felt like any of my time is wasted in any of these movies. I kind of am enjoying all the moments, but like quick highlights on the, on the previous two, I do think Guardians 1 is just like great. It's a great introduction of a set of characters it has the like heist ish piece getting out of the jail that's just like awesome. And then, you know, the high stakes that kick up towards the end and our characters come together. It does a perfect job of setting up all these things in the Marvel universe with the Infinity Stone and Thanos and all that. Like it's it's amazingly a key, a linchpin movie to a larger bunch of shit, but also is compartmentalized and enjoyable within itself. There are some fun and funny things in the second one. I do enjoy some of the new cast as they add them in, uh, they give a little more time to Yondu. 
They add in Mantis, who's now in the third one. Nebula gets more time, and we get to like interact with her some more. Um, but the whole plot line in that one's just a little bit weaker. And yeah. wh- already having known that, rewatching it, I was trying to be like, okay, why is this one not quite as good as the the other one? The first chunk of the movie, we kind of have our intro heist, which you normally have, like at the beginning of the Guardians one or whatever, you know, other Marvel movie. Or I feel like it's the Indiana Jones thing. We have to go get the one thing at the beginning, and yep. then something else happens, and then we get to our big thing, right? And in the first one, the something else happens is them all breaking out of jail. We're getting familiar with them. We're starting to see their abilities. They're interacting with each other. They're kind of this ragtag team coming. With the second one, it's uh, we talk to Ego for a long time about shit and slowly realize what probably everybody kind of knew. He's the bad guy. Uh, and I, I think that that part just wasn't as entertaining and kind of just dulled out for a bit. It doesn't really give any new depth to Star-Lord in yeah. any way. The only new depths we get is kind of our newly introduced characters and mainly Nebula kind of grows. Like Mantis is just new. No one else really changes much. I guess the romance. I didn't realize that that there isn't like exactly romance between Gamora and Star Lord in the first one, like it kind of like hints around it, but I guess the second one is where it more morphs into an actual romance. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it just kind of is the weaker. And then now talking about three, which I'll talk a little bit more in depth. I actually really did enjoy it. Um, I do, you know, I recommend it as a in the Marvel movies. They kind of maybe have been on a down note downturn for a while. This one doesn't really play with whatever else has been going on in the universe. Doesn't really matter. It doesn't really key up anything important for future ones. Doesn't really matter. You don't need to have seen really any of the other shit that's been going on recently, which is good. Like this is more of again, just like we're back to the Guardians. They're in their corner of the universe. They're all morons, and it's funny. Um, again, like it it plays in that area, and I think they found like the the new people they've added are the right mix to where you enjoy having them there too. Yeah. Um, that while it's sort of shaking up the formula a little, this one focuses a lot on Rocket and his background. Um, that's the main driver of the plot of the third one. He's injured, and it turns out uh, whenever he was bioengineered, he has some kind of uh, <laughs> anti-piracy system built into him. I don't know what to call okay. it. It's like an Apple. <laughs> it's like an Apple no repair system. Where yeah. there's no his right war- to his warranty's voided. Yeah, <laughs> his warranty's voided if you open him. Uh, and so they have to go back to his like original creation to get the key code to to open it up so they can actually you know do surgery or whatever on him. Yeah, that's kind of our main plot line. Um, and in that we kind of get these constant flashbacks to rockets from being a raccoon baby to slowly becoming the rocket we know and all the, the I would say ups and downs, all the downs of all of that, honestly. And that's the really emotional stakes that I, I kind of feel like the second one was missing because I didn't really buy the connection or missing family piece for Star-Lord that was the center of that one. Uh, the only thing that was like emotionally waiting in that one, I feel like was Yondu. Like he actually, we kind of, he kind of became okay as yeah. a per- and then you and then you know then it gets killed off. Oh, I spoiled it for you. Um, <laughs> and this one, there's the little bit of like hint of like Ogamora is coming back, but they actually do also kind of handle that one in, in interesting emotional ways too. As the characters are are finding themselves, but the rocket stuff was like 
gut wrenching at times. Like I really appreciated that. It sounds wrong, but I appreciated that because I think it's it's a good thing to hang on to and remember. The villain is good and and rememberable. Um, and then it, it mainly is just like funny. You know, again, there's a lot it's of got funny that stuff gun going charm on. To it. Yeah, it has that charm. This is his send off as well as he's now, I guess, going to just make peacemaker and suicide squad movies and whatever now like he's gone over to dc um and i know dixon hates him but i like his style (laughs) yeah i I, Um, yeah when you talk about guardians 2 um so i know guardians 2 had a lot of like exposition i feel like um you know there was a lot hinging on the charisma of the actors to carry the actual emotional depth of it does this one have, cause I've also heard, you know, this has a lot of like animal violence or animal cruelty, I guess that kind of hint does, do you feel like it's used as a crutch or do you feel it's appropriately used to really elicit the emotions needed for, for kind of the character progression of the stories or is it just unavoidable to include? Like it, it was necessary. I think it's unavoidable because it's rocket and his background that it would be that hmm. it's, kind of it is in a way like a cheap get because it's easy right to kind of have like a cute animal like fucked up and then immediately get the response you want from it but i'll be honest like even partway through it i was like early on i was kind of just like man if i was a kid and this came out and i saw a raccoon like walking down the stairs that like looks like a raccoon but is a space raccoon like my mind would have been blown. Yeah. Like I kind of do get lost sometimes in the actual quality of the graphics of when they are good. Yes. I get also get lost when Batman and Catwoman are fighting and it's shitty CG for no reason. But like the quality of of the work in Marvel can be all over the place. But I actually think it was like the right. It's the right mix here. Gunn does a good job of kind of mixing things. The prosthetics in this movie movie are off the chain. There are all, there are so many. Even beyond that, just people in makeup. Like yeah. so many people have to show up and set and then sit there in gold, green, blue, whatever makeup all day. There's these complex like animal prosthetics on a bunch of people. And then they mix it with like a talking tree and a talking raccoon. <laughs> right. But like yeah. the fur is good and stuff like that. I'll say where it gets it is that Bradley Cooper can act. <laughs> yes. You know, maybe he wasn't originally thought that way or whatever, but he is, he can act. And then to add in, it's Sean Gunn that's doing the mocap, and he's pretty good in that way. And then whatever the animators add on top of the raccoon, you can feel the weight and emotion in Rocket, even though I know I'm like not looking at a thing yeah. in, a, in a way, right? It's sort of weird, but it's there. In the same way that I'm like, Guardians got a lot out of Groot. And it's interesting how you can take someone something and give it the emotion and weight and body language and all that and have it be a tree. Like they know what they're doing to get those kind of things. And so that's that really does work. And I do think that these are this is a really good cast. It is a really, really good cast, you know, of, of who they've got for it. Whatever you want to say about Chris Pratt, he works in this role. You know, I, you know, I have my misgivings about sticking him in everything, but he is an endearing person. Like he's funny in Parks and Rec and he's endearing and I think he's funny and I think he's endearing in this. Uh, super, 
Super Mario Brothers is a whole other problem set of problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we don't but, need to get you started. On yeah, that. we don't need. Back on track. Back on track. <laughs> I, I do think he's 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 right. He's right for this role, and and he has the right things. And we do get a little bit of emotions with him as he's dealing with, like, is Gamora ever going to be the same Gamora I knew? What do I do if I get her? Is it the same her anyway? Like, there's a little bit that's there too, and then you also have the sort of like. Some of these people are still violent people coming off of their <laughs> things, like as well, like trying to figure out who they are. So I, I kind of like that. Still, I think it comes through. Um, this one is, yeah. There's definitely like plenty of action to kind of turn your brain off and enjoy. But I do like when there's something where it's like a villain that's interesting. This is an irredeemable villain, but you understand where they come from. Um, the the weight of the characters' emotions, Rocket, and their care for Rocket and his own stuff that he went through and his changes, it, that's all interesting. So that kind of, like, I feel like makes it a worthwhile watch for all those pieces. It's not, I would say, it's not, to me, as amazing as something like Black Panther, where I feel like it kind of rises above even its medium. Mm-hmm. I think this one solidly hits in that Guardians 1. If you're like, oh, Guardians 1 was great, you'll absolutely fucking enjoy this. You know, if you if Guardians 2 isn't even like, oh, you tolerate it, it's not bad. And it's not even quite mediocre, it's in. It's sort of weird how it's in that. Like, I don't know how. I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, there's that kind of like C-plus? you know. I don't need it, but I'll take it. Sort of. Yeah. I'm like, okay, sure. I could watch this uh, as a you know, com- uh, you know, uh, companion to the first one. This sure, it's a natural extension to an extent. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this one brings it back around. Okay, that's nice. A, a nice little bow on it. Uh, where do you stack? the holiday special in all of this ryan <laughs> i'll be honest the holiday special is pretty fucking funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think i had zero expectations or maybe even potentially negative expectations of like why what what is this even needed and then we watched it and we were all like in spite of ourselves like this is pretty funny <laughs> this is pretty pretty funny and pretty stupid and it gets the heart through i i think that the holiday special is a good like uh teaser to this movie because it kind of gets you all the pieces you need of like sort of exactly what this ragtag team is now because it's been a while since the second movie came out yeah and we've had a bunch of shit in between um and so that is a good little kind of like snap refresher i think if you watch the holiday special and you're like hey this is funny then you're gonna be fine you know just go watch the third movie like it's yeah it's it's a little bit ish more the same i mean that one's obviously like ridiculous ridiculous premise and this one actually has a plot but uh just the character interactions like the way they're there the little like jabbing at each other back and forth and stuff like that is is fun nice yeah i i had seen some video with james gunn talking about his favorite adaptations and he was mentioning how like old boy was one of his favorite like comic adaptations. Mm, mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, we got like a hallway scene and in, in this new guardians. It's like, you know, it's not the same as that hallway scene for sure, but hallway scenes are fucking great. We should do more of them. I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there is a hallway scene. That's pretty badass. It's interesting that, and I was even thinking during the holiday hall, hallway scene that is then this It's funny. You mentioned it that I was like, since this is kind of like all bullshit, from a, from a movie making i'm like how much stuff has to get on top of this one and it does a lot it's always seen it's not like old boy or daredevil where we're like in the hallway and a bunch of shit's going down this one also has like a stupid amount of dynamic camera work mm-hmm. um but i was like this is actually like i can kind of keep track of what's going on uh which is hard 
in especially with that much action and that many characters because this isn't like where i'm following the one person beating up everyone in the hallway i'm following like seven yeah people and a bunch of monsters and things and a couple sentient other things like all fighting and yeah that it actually like still worked is is interesting how the action scenes work and it yeah. follows that i actually was sat down and used you know here we go aside I've been talking to Logan more about some like movie making and, and some of those things as he's now old enough to kind of get a little bit of it. Um, yeah. Trying to give him a little bit more appreciation for like what the movie is telling you that it, you're not, that it's not telling you and, and how to kind of see like the things that it sets up. And I was using the second movie or no, sorry, I was using the first guardians and a little bit of the of dungeons and dragons, uh, honor among thieves to show him how, uh, in an action scene, how you have to set up like the comedy in an action scene, but also sort of the like what's happening and how it's done in a way that's like if you stop and pay attention, it's not exactly realistic because it would just sort of happen and you couldn't tell and how you have to like time and pause things perfectly so that it's like the the good example and we may have mentioned it, we talked about Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, Michelle Rodriguez like grabs the bow off the wall and then yep. puts it over the two head, two guys' necks and pops it. Yep. And it, it, the way that scene works, she reaches up and grabs the bow, and we get a pause center screen on the bow. So our mind is like, okay, a bow. And then she pulls it down and puts it over the guy's head, and she starts to pull it back. And it takes a little while, so our mind is like, bow, bow over guys' heads, mm-hmm. snap. And my mind's like, oh, gets the physics of it in that transition as well. And that, that is hard to do, especially when you do that on like, so many different people turning in so many different directions and yes. shooting things and jumping and arms breaking and like, but they managed to pull that off. I do really appreciate that the action scenes, I think from, from it, it's not just gun. Cause I know that then we open up to a whole bunch of animation directors from like 13 different studios, the wall of text at yeah. the end of this movie. Um, but still the fact that it, it works and it comes together, which we talked about other Marvel movies where it's like, it does not yes. uh, work. This one, this one, I feel like the action still works. I, I that's appreciate when, it. Yeah. I feel like when they can't get the action right in another movie, Marvel or not, that's when the camera shake starts to go up because you want the audience yeah, to yeah. not know what's going on because you want to hide all of the imperfections in your action. And There's someone in post that's like, can this get darker? Yeah. <laughs> Keep turning it down. Okay. That's good. <laughs> as, as much as I know you use Aquaman as a sleeper aid um, and you, you really haven't watched through. Mo- I can't remember if you ever finished it. I don't think you did. <laughs> no, <I'm not laughs> yeah, you never finished. I don't it. think I've made it more than um, 15 minutes. It's so weird because like the first half of that movie has very clear cut action sequences where you can tell what's happening when compared to the rest of the Zack Snyder verse, uh, which yeah. is just like fucking shaky cam people blowing through buildings and shit. Um, and it, I remember when I first saw that, the, it's like the opening 20 minutes. I was like, oh, wow, the action's really great here. And then towards the end, it just became a CGI nightmare and like everything fucking sucked. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, this is awful. <laughs> and it it really demonstrates how thoughtful you need uh, to have like animation directors in addition to your director and how certain action choreography is done, CGI or not. Um if you don't have the same kind of camera angles that mimic what you would in real life and the blocking and everything, it, it can just fall apart underneath you. Even if you have control over everything in CGI, you can make things look really shitty that don't make sense. And it can be really like, look at Transformers, like Jesus Christ, oh my God. any Transformers movie, I have no idea what's going on. I am still going to go see the upcoming one with Unicron. I don't give a shit, uh, but I have a feeling. Is I'm Unicron gonna... in that? 
Yeah, Unicron's in it, and so are the oh, the fucking yeah, primals, the primals are in it. <laughs> and all the other shit. I don't know. The primals can't. I say the trailer for that one a couple times in my mind, and then somewhere in the back of my child mind is like, yeah. I want to see yeah, that. I, I'm Only go out see of the it. like, I love all that old stuff, but I know I'm gonna hate it. <laughs> I'm gonna go see it, and I'm gonna hate it, and I feel like the action's probably gonna be way too all over the place because that's been any Transformers movie. I can't tell what's going on. It just. It looks visually how I think uh, fucking dubstep sounds. Um, like that's yeah. just what <laughs> that's, yeah, right. that's, that's <laughs> what I get out of it. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it's nice to know. Yeah, Gunn still has a good kind of grasp on things going. On. I mean, when he did the Suicide Squad, that whole hallway sequence with Harley Quinn was fucking rad. Yeah, um, yeah. Like those those sequences, I I love seeing them. I don't care if it is the same as old boy or not. It's still like a lot of coordination going on in it. Um, CGI or no, but yeah, that's cool. Glad to hear guardians three worked out. Uh, and it's a nice little bow. Yeah. I still am missing several that I do want to watch in the Marvel going back, but there's some I'm just going to pass on. Uh, there was a preview for the Marvels, which I'm fairly certain we'll, we'll go see. Uh, cause we watched Miss Marvel and enjoyed it. And yeah. Ella's like super into that. So that's probably the next, uh, one that I'll go watch and I'm like, I don't really, I don't even know what it has to do with anything. Like I haven't watched Ant Man and I probably may or may not. I don't really care. And yeah. I guess that, yeah, somehow now the, their whole universe is like fucked up again. It, it, it is interesting how like perfectly set up they got to Thanos and how that paid off and they will just never, They're they'll never, never be able to do it again. Yeah. They were able to pull the rug out from you like once in, in a way. And then they can't build up to anything like that ever again because you can see it coming. And I mean, they they broadcast it all the fucking time with their stupid phase layouts and everything. So many people talking about the secret wars going on. And I'm like, I just don't give a shit. Kind of done. <laughs> yeah, it's it's they can never really get this the stakes back because I don't yeah. think they've ever really hit. I don't know. It's just not the right mix of things like they add in some of these movies and I'm just like. Like the Eternals is a good example of like somehow that was supposed to be important and it just w- did not work and it doesn't matter. Like yeah. there are, there's a whole bunch of drop threads at the end of that movie that I think we will never see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's gone. Forget it. Um, but the fact that the, in the earlier movies, they could rotate like the movies worked and they came to whatever they needed to come to and they rotated away from things like Adam Warlock comes back in this and he was teased in two and was supposed to be in some of the other stuff, but they ended up just being like, eh, there's enough shit going on, let's, whatever. And then they bring him back now. But it's like they set him up in two enough that it makes sense that he comes back yeah. now, you know, so it's fine. But it's in that back then they'd be like, well, we're going to do this with him, but never mind. And it still worked. Like, it still came out good, where it's like, they have things that they know they want to do with, but it doesn't work. Like, they're in there, and it doesn't work. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, it's all over the place. Didn't they fucking tease Star Fox or some shit? And, <laughs> Star Fox, yeah. Some, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they teased Not the so N64 many things. Not the Star Fox. Not the yeah. Star, yeah, the other, dude, the names on shit yeah. in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Don't even get you started. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no, they tease that. They tease like three things in Eternals, like the Black Knight and... Oh, yeah. Blade? I'm still waiting. I now... I will... All, oh, yeah. The Blade's coming out, though. Yeah. Um, still, I still wonder about that guy in the back that thinks that the end of the Eternals was, carn- was Carnage or no, was uh, Venom or whatever. Like, yeah. that, I wonder if that guy's still sitting there waiting how many years down the line before he's like, oh, that's not happening. And that was <laughs> something was else Morbius. entirely. Whoops. Yeah, it was Morbius <laughs> all along. Nice. Um, 
well cool uh there you have it everybody guardians 3 it's solid if you loved guardians 1 definitely go see it if you're looking for a good popcorn flick it's a great time if you're dixon stay away from it obviously because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you hate james gunn um but yeah uh awesome well i'll move on to uh to to my recommend i have a recommend it's a very strange recommend i um of course it's another acquisition from vinegar syndrome but not actually buy vinegar syndrome it's through um a partner label uh deaf crocodile and that is um 1988's zero grad which is um directed by corinne shaknazarov um he is a i guess a surrealist i haven't seen any of his other movies but this one was really fucking out there um <laughs> it was uh basically the the premise of this movie is that there is a an engineer, a mechanical engineer, who comes to the small town of Zerograd, which is basically Zero City, um, and he's trying to get this manufacturing plant that makes the backs of AC units to make their back a little bit smaller so that they can fit in these new models that Moscow is making. Um, the moment that he arrives, though, things are just like completely off kilter. There is a nude woman fully nude who is the secretary of like this uh, engineering plants manager that he's going to see. And he just can't make heads or tails of it. And they have a whole scene where he's like, did you know that your secretary is like 100% naked? And the guy's like, what? Let me see this. And he like walks over and looks out and then he looks back and he's like, huh, that's weird. And then he just like goes back to doing what he's doing. Uh, and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the movie, which is just the town in whole starts to become this oppressive it's like silent hill in soviet era <laughs> where oh, there's not like monsters per se but the the lurking monster is like the soviet bureaucracy um it has brazil vibes but also just he can never escape basically as long as he lives in that town or d tries to do anything like the moment that he shows up, the mechanical engineering plant guy is like, oh, well, let me get you in touch with our chief engineer. And then it turns out their chief engineer died like eight months ago. And he's like, oh, that's weird. Well, why don't you come back in two weeks and then we'll figure everything out with you. And on his way to the hotel, he gets sidetracked to go eat at a diner where the chef commits suicide because he won't. The main character, Alexi, won't eat a cake that's made in his own image like it's a head. And the, the server is like, you got to eat this cake. Otherwise the chef's going to kill himself. And Alexi's like, that's bullshit. And he starts to walk out and the chef fucking just dies. Like he kills himself. But then it becomes this whole mystery of did he kill himself or was there a conspiracy? Because turns out that chef was a big proponent of bringing rock and roll to the Soviet <laughs> States. And the like fucking president of the communist society really fucking hated that. But it's also the prosecutor who thinks that this could be the murderer. I don't, it was like, what the fuck is going on? Um, and it takes all these wild, weird turns. There's a whole sequence where they stop off in like a museum that's 28 kilometers underground or 28 meters underground. And it's like wax figures that are all played by actors who are just like standing still. And it adds this extra uncanniness, but they're like all Golly. these Soviet mixtures of fact and fiction where they're like, did you know that we're all descended from Attila the Hun and like Genghis Khan has this part of our line. And that's why we're like really fucking great at what we do. And then they like have really big grandiose religious displays in this wax museum that are insane. And one of them features that chef who's doing the rock and roll dance. And it's just like, it starts to become this fever dream as it goes on. And he meets more and more people in this town who are part of either they are part of the community or they're politicians there. 
and each one of them promises him that he can get out and they all lead him deeper into the town as he goes until basically gets to this point where it's like his only option is to fucking run. There's, there's nobody who can help him. And it, it's really bleak. It's really surreal. It has these comedic elements that are funny just because of how absurd it is. But I don't know. It, it, it filled me with that same dread. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, silent Hill, it fills me with that same dread of like, this is a town where you can't escape no matter what you want to do. The town swallows you. Um, and it, had a lot of interesting things to say. It came out like two years after or in the middle of Perestroika. So it was in this like, oh, the government doesn't really like that this movie exists, but they're not going to stop you. And there's not a censor board to really stop uh, mm. Corinne from making it. So I-, I watched a few like supplementals and stuff about it. And he was talking about how, yeah, they were like mad they had to pay for this, but fuck it. Like we got it out. And I thought that it spoke to how the bureaucracy and the government and like <clears throat> the, the, lies that they feed you through history can like really fuck up a town and fuck up people. And, uh, he was just trying to explore that in that abstract space. So, and it's like, I guess the ignorance of the problems, like uh, that sounds like that too, right? Where they kind of just like are ambivalent to the things around them at that point, everything is fucked up. Yeah. People creating like more narratives than need to be in certain spaces, like talking about whether the chef committed suicide or whether he was murdered and, um, all these other false histories that like they constantly they have like propaganda posters almost in every scene uh, is a new setting and they all say something that's like you know oh uh you, the best engineer is an engineer that does this but then throughout this the like next sequence you just see so much incompetence in the engineers that you're like that can't be fucking true like there's no way that this this yeah. poster is factual so it's it's pretty fun uh very scathing and it just kind of leaves you sitting and thinking more on that in the same way that Brazil did where it's like chilling kind of ending. So, um, yeah, I would recommend it. I think it's, it's interesting. I, I was reading on reverse cargo cults, like the concept of, so a cargo cult is this, um, it, you know, based on these idea of these, so it's cults. Cult is always such a negative term, but it, it is a technical term. These cults had developed in the Pacific where the American military kind of came into these countries that had had no real contact with other civilizations, appeared out of nowhere, gave them a bunch of chocolate bars and spam and shit, and then vanished mm-hmm. one day. And sort of like the, were they real, were they won't, are they coming back? And they kind of created these cults around the concept of them being this greater thing. The re- but the reverse cargo cult, the idea in the cargo cult is that they have this belief out there of something and they make these like fake runways hoping it's going to return the Americans, the, the gods or, or whatever it is to their to their location. And they believe that it's as real as the ones that they had had. Yeah. Where with the reverse cargo cult, they build it, the idea being like if they went out and they built a shitty runway and they told you it's a shitty runway. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not lying to you. It's a shitty runway. But they point over at the real runway and say, that's also a fake shitty runway. See? Yeah. And you should just expect that sh- that runways are fake and shitty. And then that way they can kind of cover up the shittiness around them. Wow. And that the like the Soviets are a great example of that, where they just constantly were like, yeah, there's a corruption in the system, but the Americans are corrupt. Yeah. And like, yeah, the like the Americans will tell you like the rich people, you know, like you, you can do better and you can, but that's a lie. So it doesn't matter that there's rich Soviets, even though we're supposed to be this communism. 
of like everyone. And so they were able to just get everyone to buy in on bullshit because they're just like, bullshit is the norm. Broken is the norm. Poor is the norm. Like it is everywhere else too. They just all lie. We're at least honest with you that it's sucky. Yeah. Damn. (laughs) That's yeah. That's basically like this movie did a shit ton of that. (laughs) Just any character is willing to talk at length about how they're dedicated to ideals. Like there's a whole monologue um, that one of the characters gives about what is right for the people and what is best um, to, to like bring everybody to the greater good. And it's the guy who's talking about like, was this a, a suicide or a murder? The prosecutor who's trying to charge that he later attempts suicide in front of a crowd and the gun jams several times. And then he gets upset and like a little boy, he starts crying and pushes past everybody. And he's just <laughs> like so mad. And right before he did that, he's like, he announces like, Oh, you know, um, they, this guy could never have committed suicide because he's too much of a coward. He had to be murdered. And then he tries to kill himself and fails and he gets <laughs> fucking upset about it. So it was like funny how it sets up these different characters and their ideals and what they believe. And then immediately will like dash it away or show like how it's bullshit and rotates it around. Um, I, I found it to be really cool just from the, the way that it was doing it. And the main character is, just kind of an everyman who's very, he's very sad. He has a very sad expression, very oppressed expression. He does remind me quite a bit of, uh, he is the parallel of the main character from Brazil. Um, Mm -hmm. there's that kind of like, I'm just trying to do my job and I'm sorry and trying to push past a lot of people. Um, but it, it felt like it'd be a good compliment to watch with Brazil actually. Like the entire time I watched it, I was like, this has that same weird draws you into its world has this kind of, off kilter sort of vibe to it um and a failing crumbling kind of government locally and that kind of shit so uh yeah it was it was cool i I talked to sasha's uh father about it because he's he's seen a good number of moss films and um seems to have knowledge anytime i bring stuff stuff to him he's talking about how this guy apparently now is like a allegedly is uh, i don't really know is pro putin now and i was like well that's kind of like i mean i feel like he would just side with whoever can help him make films and continue to do it because he just like loves them. Um, but I was also like, I wonder if he's made anything that really criticizes Putin's current government or not. Uh, cause this seemed to be pretty damning. Like he was totally comfortable and he, he loved like American things. He talked about how he, the movie he made before this had a lot of jazz in it. And even that was kind of problematic. I think there was some thing with the, the Soviet censors where they were kind of like iffy on it. Um, and this one has like a lot of has like rock around the clock or something. I can't remember which song, but it's it's the one that everybody probably knows when you hear it. And uh, he was like, yeah, I love the Beatles and like all this stuff. We really didn't have to. We kind of got like some bootlegs in and that was how I listened to it. But I wanted to like merge that into this Russian culture to make it a little bit more universal in this way and play with it. The politics It's like, oh, cool. I don't know what he does now, but um, he was at least back then really kind of trying to pry open uh what the government was about by using pop culture from uh our side so it was like "Hmm, yeah neat Hmm. but yeah um apparently he's working on an anna karina interpretation version is what he's been doing for a while now damn i wonder if he'll ever get there and then some sort of (laughs) but yeah so pro-russian world war ii movie it looks like (laughs) is is bigger yeah So something tells maybe he, you know, it's tricky though, right? Because the, I would say modern Russians are, have a mixed history with their post-World War II to Cold War. 
selves. Yeah. And there is certainly the rise of Putin does have to do with like not wanting that, but liking when they were a world power, right? Kind of yeah. how the communist rise to begin with too, to some extent, like wanting to be a world power, but like being embarrassed by some of the previous history. Yeah, definitely. So it's a tough thing where I could see where he was like communism at the time was bullshit and had corrupted, but then seeing Putin as an, an ideal, you know, bringing together the country and creating a powerhouse again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely, there was like a, um, Oh God, I just had a thought. I, it fucking escaped from me. Um, just about him sort of talking to no, it'll, it'll, it's gone. It'll never come back, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. All right. But it's also tough. It's also tough, right. To be a Russian and talk bad of Putin is how you can just mysteriously disappear. Yeah. yeah a lot of people fall out of windows. Who knows? Stab themselves 20 times, pour yeah. poison on their own face. Yeah. <laughs> Accidentally shot himself directly in the head, uh, in the temple. Or <laughs> um, how now it's interesting thinking about this in Brazil. Brazil wasn't necessarily talking about uh, it wasn't dra- about communism per se, but that post, the very very similar post uh, authoritarian bizarre society, um, or I would say something like probably more 1985. Even it still has absurdity in it. Yeah. What what in it? Why is it that absurdity is kind of the go to? do you think to, to kind of dealing with that? Not particularly yeah. Russia, but sort of that like collapsed post capitalism, post communism society. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's because it's too bleak. The bureaucracy, I guess the, they're all about that bureaucracy, I guess. Yeah. Is what, yeah. That, that level of like, I don't know, just obfuscation. I have to think that there's something to, well, one, I feel like if you show a realistic bureaucracy, you could get like some funniness from it. Like Mike judge does that pretty well in his works. Um, True. Yeah. But it also, I think that there's a certain level in surrealism where you can take something to an extreme and turn it on its face and show just how absurd it really is pushed to that limit. Like, I think that it is just way more impactful than, um, what would probably be a much more relatable, like, all right, here's a stack of papers. Did you fill these TPS reports out? That kind of stuff. Um, There's commentary to be had in both regards, but I think that absurdism is lend like it lends itself really well to hammering home the point of, you know, Hey, this is like your reality, but here's the distortion of it. We can like reflect back and really show you the accentuated points that something might lead to. Um, and it lets you distance yourself from feeling it, I think, as uh, maybe offensive in a way. Like, I think for this, it's so uh, so avant-garde and absurd, some of the stuff that happens, like the Wax Museum with the false histories that mm. have, like, they literally are like, we have a bed where, uh, I think, like, Attila the Hun, like, fucked this woman. And that's the f- first woman who led to, like, Russian people being this way. And it's just like a broken wooden bed, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> like that kind of shit. Um, there's not going to be anybody who can really make too big of an argument about like, oh, that that's offensive. How dare you? Because it's so absurd and out there. But at the same time, you can be like, yeah, I mean, there are like myths and legends. And I remember thinking about it, and I was like, man, I was reflecting immediately after this after the movie had ended. I was like, man, it's really sad to think about this movie being made to criticize sort of like the history of uh, maybe not the Russian government, but just like 
I was thinking of it in that lens, like, oh, to criticize the Russian government and where it had been. And now to look at like where Russia is. But then I'm also ignoring the fact that we have sequels to Jarhead in America that point toward a a fascist military state that really fucking loves its guns and all the other shit. And we're totally down to mythologize what we can too. Um, So I felt like it, I don't know, the absurdism actually transcends probably cultural barriers if I had to guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so it can, it can touch into these other things. Um, yeah, I think it's yeah. it's interesting because I do think that the bureaucracy because Catch Twenty Two is another sort of example of like an absurdism with the bureaucracy just showing like I guess bureaucracy is easy to take to an extreme of like you're just buried under paperwork for no reason like that it is just no reason the bureaucracy just has these things that are just beyond reason and so absurdism plays to that but at, at the same time I'm like I listed 1985 but there's not a lot that's absurd there. Yeah, <laughs> but it sounds like this and like Brazil and certainly Catch Twenty Two has it as well. That like even though we're having these absurd moments, it's very tragic. It all still is very tragic. Um, but I do think of like post apocalypse, uh, post post capitalism. Like cyberpunk's a good example of like a post capitalism, and it's it's not absurd, yeah. right? There, there now there are those that I and a, and a good example of what you just brought up is Mike Judge can do bureaucracy and be absurd but he can also do the post capitalism uh and be completely absurd so you can kind of go both ways um but something like in cyberpunk where it's like oh the the hospital's not going to save you because you don't have a subscription with them yeah is like absurd but presented in the way that it is it's just like oh yeah i can totally fucking see how horrible that is where it's the sort of the same things you're talking about about like lying to the people about your history and worshiping these things that aren't really it or your history at all is totally real and yes. totally <laughs> sad and disturbing, but you're presenting it in a way that's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was thinking too, because we're talking about Mike Judge right now. From Mike Judge, creator of Beavis and Butthead and co-creator of King of the Hill, comes a movie about people who go to work. who are part of a team. And remember, next Friday is Hawaiian Shirt Day. Okay, but I could set the building on fire. Who respect their boss. We need to talk about your flair. Well, I have 15, 15 pieces on. 15 is the minimum. Brian, for example, has 37 pieces of flair on today. <laughs> and a terrific smile. I feel like it'd be appropriate if we talk about uh, Office Space, because I feel like it's a movie. I'm just going to assume we'd both recommend this movie. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, right. Come on. But it, at the same time, I just watched it again. It's been a few years since I'd seen it. I watched it with my in-laws and they had never seen it. They did not know. Part of it was my father-in-law is a trucker and he was like, I have no idea what the office culture is. Funnily enough, uh, you were talking about, um, oh, they have that in America. It's just as shitty here. He had always heard office culture was just as shitty in America as it is in <laughs> Russia <laughs> before he came over to the States. And so he was like, yeah, you know, I just never felt the need to watch this movie because I felt like, hey, I already know that office life is shitty. Like, what's this going to teach me or how am I going to learn from this? But um, he ended up fucking loving it and and laughing all throughout. Um, and yeah, like there's just something so timeless about that movie uh, that I feel like it also transcends like tech culture. Um, is, yeah. You, you and I both work in software and it can become like heavily bureaucratic. Oh, I think oh man. Yeah. Any fucking company <laughs> can become heavily bureaucratic given the right time and growth. 
Um, but what is it about office space that just like makes it that timeless that makes it like that kind of funny. And at the same time, like, I don't know, it's just as relevant today as it was then in the nineties. I feel like if you show yeah. it to a time traveler, it would still be true. Even if they don't yeah. know what computers are. Well, real, yeah, realistically, like, I guess the technology has come a little bit further, but it really doesn't matter. They sort of hand wave what the company does anyway. Right. Yeah. And, and, the scheme that they come up come up with makes a vague sense regardless as well. Um, so yeah, I think that like even that's not there. But it also uses the um, Jennifer Aniston's job at the not TGIF Fridays. What's it called? The ch- the tchotchkes, tchotchkes or the yeah, it, or whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. The the like how many pieces of flair yeah. you have on right. That that is a timeless soulless job that asks you to be to have yeah. more than it asks you to, but it won't tell you that. Um, which I've yeah I've been in those situations too, where it's where it's like okay, but you said you wanted this, but realistically you want this other thing, but you can't say that because you know then that would be wrong. Yeah. Um, that that yeah. So I think it does have that. Even if you haven't worked in that exact environment, you've been through similar things. Your boss you know your boss is going to come ask you to stay late and he doesn't give a shit. You know, you know you're going to have to fill out all this paperwork that you don't understand why you're filling out all this paperwork. Technically, you have nine bosses for some reason. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. shit like that, that. That is, yeah, it's timeless. I think we talked about it with clerks as well, that it is that, like, it that those are timeless because they're from the heart. Like, Mike Judge lived that shit. Yeah. And those characters are familiar with it as well. And it it is something that in some way, even if you haven't worked as a clerk or in that office, you've worked some job and every job has some piece of something from there, if not specifically um, in that way. I would say like Silicon Valley maybe is is does play more into the specific tech aspects of it because there's certainly things there in that show where I'm like, oh, I've been in that situation, but I don't know that outside the tech industry that's as realistic to people but yeah. still there right it's still kind of there um and there's a lot in that then that is just enjoyable with itself but the like tabs versus spaces is realistic and i think most people have had those sort of pedantic fights but they don't understand <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. specifics of that specific pedantic fight but i think office space removes just enough of like what exactly they're doing to just give you a general shitty job yeah unless you're in construction apparently that that's fine. Construction's having great. Fun yeah. with. They're, they're great. Yeah. Nobody says it's a case of the Mondays. You get their ass kicked saying something like that. It's <laughs> yes. all, that was fine. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think that that's also the characters are so memorable. Like Mike judge just does a good job with the characters too, making them really feel fleshed out and have these different personalities. Like you have Michael Bolton who listens to hardcore gangster rap in his car and will turn the volume down when somebody comes around and might <laughs> think that it's weird that he's doing that or, he talks tough, but he dresses like a nerd and yeah. you have like Samir who always knows a guy or has like a plan of what he would do in these other situations. Um, and, and like Peter just wanting to do nothing. Um, like, it, I don't know. There's just so many good kind of distinguishable characteristics of these different characters that makes them bounce off each other really well. Lawrence, obviously, as we've already alluded to being very proud of his construction job. I love, I remember like, Somebody mentioned about how like Diedrich Bader, um, that's the actor's name, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Diedrich Bader, like whenever he was doing that, uh, he initially was reading the lines so proud that I think Mike Judge was really 
just enthusiastic about him playing that role. Like he's like, I made the right choice. Whenever he's like, I got to wake my ass up at 6 a.m. Drive up to Sausalito. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing the drywall up the new McDonald's. He says it like so proud. So happy. Yeah. <laughs> like just those little characteristics are great and add this little flavor to it. Um, that that's enjoyable. And the repetition of lines, we've talked about the Coen brothers having like mm, certain mm-hmm. things come back. Like Mike judge also kind of, you know, he'll lean on that on occasion and it makes it funny. People talking about TPS reports like over mm-hmm. and over again or PC load letter. Yeah. The PC fucking, load letter. <laughs> the fucking guy. Uh, anytime Peter's like, I feel like Anne's cheating on me and somebody will be like, yeah, I get that feeling too, man. And it's just like, he's like, what is that supposed to mean? And nobody knows how to come back from it. Um, has all these little nuggets of relatability that don't need to hinge on like the contemporary tech at the time. Um, and I think that that is like bureaucracy will be forever. Uh, unfortunately it it just, it comes with the territory of needing to organize hierarchies and structures. And, uh, there's a certain point when you get into like the ninth circle of hell for bureaucracy. And that's when you hit your Brazils or your zero grads or your office space. And it transcends and becomes relatable because, no matter what, you'll hit that one way or another yeah. in a school, uh, in an office space, in uh, any kind of government system. Like it's going to be there. Just how much of it is there is really the question. So it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Talking about it being timeless. I'm like, even though they have, uh, well, I mean, sort of still those gigantic printers like that, but it realistically like printers have moved on or what have you, like that technology has changed. You've had some interaction with some piece of technology where it gave you some error that you're like, I don't fucking know what you want. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, right. Yeah, the communication breaks down. <laughs> I mean, my printer is still a piece of shit and I've got like three new ones over time. And each one of them is like, Oh, this is great for like a week. And then like the next week, it's just like, yeah, you got a printer jam here. And I'm like, why would you get a jam? Like, you didn't even do anything. And it's like, I don't know. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Speaking of having had jobs like that and having had jobs like Silicon Valley, I won't say that I work for a company that designed printers and other technology specifically to be shitty <laughs> so that you would buy you new know. ones. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. I know nothing about planned obsolescence. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, there we go. Uh, I feel like that was a good, it's a good diatribe on yeah. office space. And- I, speaking of Mike judge though, I'm like, I yeah. don't think they're, I don't think you can go wrong. Like, yeah. I, I think he's made everything he's made has been great in a way, um, that you can, anybody can kind of get into the space of it. I know, like, I know Beavis and Bed- Butthead has, it's like had a lot of its detractors back in the day and it certainly has its moments, but I kind of feel like it just about anybody sits down and will kind of laugh along with it in spite of itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he did those little, like, Milton, we didn't, you know, we didn't necessarily talk about Milton uh, within the frame of this, but that was a character he had created before Office Space, and I think the the boss, oh, the yeah, concept Lumberg? of the boss, Lumberg had also already been character that he had had in, sort of before, um, and then he can kind of just, like, yeah, again, those, like, simple, but over the top characters that he creates. Um, and then, yeah, the, the King of the Hill is a good example of just being like really surprisingly grounded for all of the insanity that's within it. Like that. It does just have a familiarness and grounding to it. Yeah. There's, he's a good at channeling humanity through certain caricatures and he makes the, I think that Mike judge is good at making the character first and then giving like 
full dimension and depth to it later. Like there's so much about Hank Hill that's like rich in his personality and his character. Yeah. That's like and the more that you watch, the more you get to know exactly who he is. And it it feels less and less like, oh, you're poking fun at somebody, you know, in a malicious way. And it's a lot more of like the, oh, no, these are very subtle. Like this is a nuanced kind of critique of this or a nuanced placement of it. And it's not even necessarily to like harpoon or like lampoon somebody in particular. It becomes like, oh, no, in this culture, why is this the way it is? Like it's good observational um, humor without really bringing to attention the observation itself. You're not like, what's the deal with this? It just show that scenario play out. Like whenever Hank is talking to uh, Quan, I think is the character's name. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and he's, he's just like, so are you Chinese or Japanese? And he's like Laotian. And he's like, so are you Chinese or Japanese? <laughs> like just that, that kind of demonstration of like, he has no fathom of Hank's <laughs> simple world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and Judge is just good at, at channeling it. I think Beavis and Butthead, yeah, it, it's like one of his best or his most profitable properties that eventually finds a common thread with everybody because we can all laugh about boner jokes and whatever else and these idiots that just go around never progressing in their life. <laughs> never uh, it changing, becomes never, funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, well, recommendation for all of Mike Judge's work. I don't know about Extract. I haven't seen Extract, but... Uh, I haven't seen Extract either, no. Uh, uh, but yeah, that, that, I, I don't know. Yeah, so I can't vouch for that. But there, everything else I've probably seen and enjoyed a bit. Pretty so. solid, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, I feel like we didn't get too off the rails. We, we had a good discussion on Guardians, um, which, you know, you'd recommend all three of them. The second one's a little weak. It's kind of just there. But uh, yeah. third one sounded solid. Um, I'm excited to go see it. Uh, and then... Yeah, I, you know, obviously I would recommend checking out Zero Grad. If you want to pair it, if you've already watched Brazil, it might just be good to do a double feature with it. But also just a cool watch uh, for, for the novelty one time, one time through. It's a wild trip. Um, and then Office Space and any other Mike Judge related thing. They just, they go really well with critiquing society. And uh, Office Space in particular lends itself to another kind of Brazil Zero Grad commentary on bureaucracy government organization hierarchy whatever they just all pair so nicely office space is you, just fun yeah you, you don't want to pair uh zero grad with like a um an honest depiction of russian bureaucracy like chernobyl oh jesus christ i don't know you can watch chernobyl and then you could come down on zero grad maybe i well zero grad even had like an ending that was still like just rooted in despair so it felt yeah, yeah. that kind of, it's it felt depressing in a different way <laughs> So I don't know. I, f I feel like uh, there might be an overdose of just sadness. If yeah. I guess if you pair it with Brazil, there's kind of that absurdity that balances out, I think, even with the chillingness that it or ends on. If you want a movie with absurdity and the guy actually eats a cake caricature of himself, you could watch Holy Mountain. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Why not, everybody? <laughs> go into Holy Mountain. If you don't know what it is, just go, go blind. on in. Just, <laughs> yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> Send all your letters to Ryan at afterthoughts.media, <laughs> all your email. <laughs> Everyone I have shown Holy Mountain to has enjoyed themselves after about the second half of the movie. There's a point where it turns where they go, they come back <laughs> yeah. around on the movie. At the beginning, they're confused. Then they you start to lose them, and then it, they come back around, and then they're in for the ride. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the journey. <laughs> you take them to the top of the Holy Mountain. Yeah, once they get to the top of the Holy Mountain, <laughs> it's all unveiled. <laughs> 
Um, well, yeah, we'll close it out here. We've got a, it's a full recommend list for y'all. A lot of things you could add to your watch list if you're interested in them. Um, want to thank everybody for listening and Ryan, thanks for doing this with me while Dixon is MIA for the, for the time yeah. being. Thank um, you. He's, uh, in somebody else's basement this time around or yeah. we'll find out <laughs> we'll get back with him i'm sure he's gonna have words for us when he listens to this and uh <laughs> comes and records but uh hey we'll we'll, we'll table that conversation for later <laughs> yeah cool well uh signing off from afterthoughts i've been your host john garcia and with me as always yeah. ryan king i don't know what to say when it's just the two of us to out us though i don't know i don't know we're just done how do we yeah (laughs) they moved my desk a few times i used to be over (laughs) i'm gonna burn this podcast down (laughs) i could see the squirrels and they were married Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.